0: He was a man without podcast
1: spirit. What do you mean I don't have any podcast spirit? I'm a busy businessman in the big city. I don't have time for podcast spirit. But on a fateful trip home, everything changed. What do you mean I have to go to my grandfather's podcast farm all the way upstate? It's the day before the big meeting.
0: There, he'd learn the spirit
1: of... Of podcasts. I think I'm a little old to believe in the Podcast Republic
0: app, don't you think? But under his nose this whole time was the free solution to his problems.
1: I don't care about the big meeting anymore. All I care about is you and me and favoriting my podcast so they stream instantly to my device.
0: This holiday season.
1: Merry podcast to all in the free Podcast Republic app.
0: Available on the Google Play Store. Do you hear that, Andrew? Your what, Trip? The the jingling of of jingle bells. The holiday season is upon us. And this holiday season, there's one important thing for you to do. Uh, get your letter to Santa? That, and then also... Hang the stockings by the chimney with care. Yes, also that. And then visit patreon.com slash Dissecting the 80s and check out our rewards tiers to find the one that's right for you. It makes a great holiday gift to yourself and who on your list is more important than you? What a great gift and best wishes from Dissecting the 80s. At the $2 level, you get the monthly Bag of Soup Sentinel, which gives you a sneak peek at what's coming up. At the $5 level, you get a bonus episode on a quarterly basis. The $10 level, for 12 months, you get to pick an episode. There's an $88 level. You get a vinyl recording of the show. Visit patreon.com slash Dissecting the 80s and check out all the fine things. Happy holidays. Welcome to Dissecting the I am Triplano, one half of the mega podcast. And with me, as always, to close out the year 2018, is a man who knows that when you're getting into orange juice futures... Things get a little bit complicated. The Macho Mandrew. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew Leno. That's not
1: even like anywhere applicable to my life. I like that we <laughs> had to get so deep in the weeds for that one.
0: Well, you know, uh, integral part of this movie.
1: When you're gonna, if you're gonna be a hooker, have a heart of gold.
0: Yeah. Well, I I thought mine was better. That's fine. <laughs> we are closing out the year 2018 with a movie that ends on New Year's Day trading places which celebrates its 35th anniversary in 2018 so happy anniversary slash birthday but you know what that means we gotta go back we gotta go dissect the 80s it's your sociopathic experiment something's
1: got to be about your sociopathic experiment when the mega powers explode
0: I'm talking about the 80s scott dream of the crop. Ooh, 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 yeah. power, yeah. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Oh, what a good way to put it. This movie is every time my I, anxiety nightmare. <laughs> every time I watch this movie, I like for one, there's a few things in it that I'm like, ooh, that aids <gasps> very poorly. And we'll get to that, but what honestly what drives me even crazier is like how much more I hate the Duke. I mean the cock uh, sorry the Koch brother. I mean the Duke brothers, not the Koch brothers. Those are the real people that are these people. Um, yeah, they're just the worst people on earth. And I like the they get theirs at the end of this movie, but it's almost not enough. I'm but yeah. We'll talk about that. So like, this is a
1: movie that I've seen the beginning. A lot, and the end, a lot, but the middle, I I don't have as much memory. Like, basically, from the the train to the end, and like the beginning of the movie to about Eddie Murphy's party, is the stuff that I like really remember. But for some reason, I'm guessing it must be like it must have been on Comedy Central a lot or something, and that's where I caught it. Yeah, it was also a movie. uh, My friends and I used to play this game in college where we're all sitting in a circle and someone names an actor and the next person names a movie they were in and then the next person names another actor in that movie and you go around the circle until someone can't think of one. And uh, someone said, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis. And I went, trading places. And everyone was like, what? And I was like, oh, it's this movie where, like... Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy end up trading places, and like one of them was a rich guy, and then there was a poor guy, and they switched, and it ends with like this guy getting locked in a monkey cage and like boned by the monkey on New Year's Eve. And they were like, (laughs) "I'm pretty sure you're making this up," and I was like, "No, no, this movie exists," and like no one believed
0: me. And filmed locally to where you were talking about it. I know. I forgot it was a Philly movie. Yeah, it's probably one of the most famous filmed in Philly movies. Yeah, up there with Rocky. Yeah. So it's also basically The Prince and the Pauper, since just just in case anyone's missed that. Like, it's very much an adaptation of The book. Oh, yeah, I guess so. But a sort of raunchy comedy version of, of that, yeah. I guess. It's also... So I've, I've seen this a bunch of times. I, I've probably also seen it in pieces a zillion times like you, but I've watched the whole thing. And watching it and taking notes about it for the show was the first time I noticed how it has an odd structure to it in that... It does. It, it, like, the third act of the movie is... Pretty long, and the the sort of setup to to build to the climax of this movie is the by far the biggest chunk of it. Like maybe thirty, it's about an close to two hours, but a little bit under two hours. The first like thirty five minutes or so is setting the table, and then there's just an incredibly long sequence of like Eddie Murphy learning to be a business executive and Dan Aykroyd fumbling around. And like, yeah, because it's like it's two hours distance. long,
1: so it's like thirty minute setup one of like the plot of like the story one hour of like playing around with that and then another 30 to resolve it and go back to normal. And I, at times it
0: might even be, it might even be less than 30 for that last chunk. Now that I'm thinking about it, like the sequence from we've hatched a plan and we execute a plan might be under 20 minutes of the movie. So it really is like an hour and 10 minutes in the middle there. I'm sorry. No, you're right. But yeah, I almost would argue that you,
1: you don't quite spend enough time with Eddie Murphy and dan Aykroyd to really get in and care about them like you should like i feel like for this to really be successful you really need to get invested in these characters and because they spend so much time apart and we don't like really learning a lot about who they are as people and where they came from it's just sort of like he's a busy businessman and he's a poor he's a poor man and like now they switched and so like i feel like there would be if we had a little more before time that really set up things that would, like, pay off later, I would have liked that a little better.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's jump into it, and we'll cover some more of the stuff as we go. So, we start with a rich guy Christmas montage, and there's, like, a butler preparing some stuff, and people are, like, wandering around Christmas trees. Frank and- Oz's name is flashed on the screen. Yes, <laughs> yes. Let's, yes, let's yes. pay credit where credit is due. A brief and very memorable cameo. Um, so, we get Dan Aykroyd getting woken up for breakfast and i always forget this is a john landis movie by the way i do want to mention that because there's a bunch of yeah there's a whole like even if you didn't know that like if you watch this movie without his credit attached and you're a fan of his you would be able to see his fingerprints on this movie there's a lot of very john landis things in it but yeah i was like uh uh, like oh yeah I i always forget this is him and then immediately i'm watching dan Aykroyd with his breakfast routine and i'm like the kind of person, and I'm sure that there are listeners out there, so I'm going to offend some people. But breakfast in bed. The kind of person, not breakfast in bed, because like if that's your jam, that's your jam, whatever. But the kind of person who's like, you know, before work, I'm going to dedicate a full two hours to my morning regimen. I'm like, there's just so much better use of that time for me. Like, but the time between my alarm going off and me walking out the door is well under twenty minutes, and there's a shower and getting dressed in there so that like I can just zoom out the door. Oh, see and my see. I set my alarm early because I don't
1: I don't want to have to feel like grog like sprinting out the door groggy. So I'm kind of like I, I it wakes me up. I can like get myself out of bed at my leisure, and then like by the time I'm like oh like awake moving, it's like thirty minutes I'm out the door. I see.
0: Yeah, the, he sits down for like he has his leisurely breakfast in bed, which I guess he does every day of the week. Hey, good work if you can get it. I wish. And then, He has his butler slash whatever he is servant shave his face while he's reading the paper, and I'm just like, if you're getting up early enough to read the dang paper, like you should sleep more. Probably. (laughs) How about how about that? How about maybe that? Uh, Every time, I'm just not a morning person, so it's as alien to me as anything could possibly be when someone's like, oh yeah, so I go to work, I get to work at eight, so I wake up around five thirty. Wake up, you know, wake up, get out of bed, hit the gym, shower, make myself breakfast and then come to work. And I'm like, you're the craziest human being. Like, I can't even imagine that world.
1: I, because, It's so funny that like that because that is sort of like a very accepted like, oh, if you, if you want to go to the gym, you should go before work. I was like for a week. I tried. I would literally
0: rather die. I would literally rather die.
1: For about a week, I tried last year to like wake myself up super early enough to go to the gym before work. And after, like, three days, I was like, this is awful, and I can't, I, like, I went once, didn't go the second day, and barely, like, woke up the third, and then I was like, you know what I'm gonna do on the fourth day? I'm gonna go, like, late at night, when I feel like, I feel like I have energy, and it's good for me. I went, like, 11.30 at night, there was no one in the gym. I was like, this is, this works for me. I'm just a night person, it turns out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, (laughs) literally, I will, I will happily make the choice of, well, I'll just die earlier then. (laughs) And then uh, they go outside so
1: that his butler slash servant can drive him to work, and Dan yes. Aykroyd can't open his own car door.
0: Yes. So that's 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 the thing. Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. I think the reason why this movie works is because they're both shit heels at the beginning of the movie, and they both get kind of hosed here. So Eddie Murphy, criminal. Whatever his backstory is that leads to him being criminal, criminal, we don't know, so we only know him as a guy who's, like, robbing people and scamming people, which, in movie land, that makes you a bad dude. See, it's interesting. I didn't think
1: they were, like, that bad, either of them. I was like, he's scamming people, pretending to be blind, but, like, he's not actively robbing anybody. He's not, like, holding people up. And it always seemed like this was another an instance of, like, I wish I knew a little more about them because, like, it seemed to me that, like, Dan Acker was just like, this is how I grew up and this is just... Everyone has a butler and is, you know, this is everyone's morning routine. So why? That's what it felt like to me. So I didn't, they didn't seem like garbage monsters. It just felt like I was like, oh, these are people that need to learn a little lesson.
0: Yeah. And you're probably absolutely right about that. But I still like the idea that he stands there and waits for someone to open his car. Oh, I agree. It's very Cinderella. It's very Cinderella. "You, You, sir, suck. Okay. Let me just be frank. You stink. You're the worst. And then we
1: meet, uh, what did you
0: call them? The Koch brothers? Yeah, they're the Koch brothers. The the, the rich, super donating political dudes. On the, oh. uh, yeah. They're K-O-C-H. They're 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 literally these people. Gotcha. But real life. So we Sorry meet... for getting a little bit political. That's okay. We meet them
1: and their Downton Abbey help is lined up to wish them a good morning on their way out it's the door. It's so
0: crazy. And the white gloves kill me. Yes. And they're talking about pork futures. So- I will say this if you've seen this movie before and I'm guessing most people listening to this episode like more so than usual. I'm guessing a lot of people who are listening to this episode have seen this movie. It's unusual that people perhaps unusual that people have seen what we're talking about. But I, I the number of people have seen Trading Places has got to be way higher than usual. And there's a really great npr episode uh or sorry planet money is the show by npr episode that explains the the resolution of this movie and how like futures purchasing works and how they're able to do it so i highly suggest to you uh if you're like dying to have someone intelligent explain this to you to go listen to that and i know you're out there I, saying, you should have
1: like, sent that to me because i would have loved yeah. to know that before this movie <laughs> yeah i
0: yeah, and I'm I'm imagining other people listening to be like, well, Trip, clearly you've listened to this. Why don't you explain it? And I will repeat what I just said, which is that you should probably listen to people who are smart explain this to you because I would do a bad job of it. I wrote a lot of
1: notes at the end that was like, I vaguely understand how this is working.
0: The, the just I had the to read Wiki- Wikipedia's explanation, kind of made sense to me. Yeah, so they're talking. They they buy. They basically are gambling on the future price of certain commodities. In this case, they're talking about pork belly, which is used to make bacon, which is, you know, a major commodity. So they're like breakfast brokers, basically. Yes, specifically because they talk about OJ and bacon a whole lot. And coffee. Yeah, no, you're right. They do focus mostly on the breakfast for whatever reason. So they're talking about the pork, and then they meet Eddie Murphy, who's on this, like, makeshift skateboard thing, who's like, hey. I th- they're in the car and then they meet Eddie Murphy on the way into the thing. What did I miss? Oh, I'm sorry.
1: You're right. I forgot they met him and then they later meet him again in the club.
0: Right. Right. So they, they, I, go ahead.
1: I did think it was interesting um, that the, cause it seems like they're, I don't know if they're supposed to be twins or just brothers or whatever, but the one they're brothers, the one brother is like very money, money, money. And the other brother seems to have a very strong interest in the scientific and psychiatric field or yeah, psych- psychology, psycho- psychological field. And so he's very interested in the idea of nature versus nurture and to the point where he's like reading Scientific American and like commenting on who won the Nobel Prize and why they shouldn't have won it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting thing. And then it wasn't, it didn't pan out in a way that made me happy because this movie gives me anxiety.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're both bad, but you're right. At the beginning of the movie, it does seem like there's a good brother and a bad brother. But Yeah, because the one's like, nothing's more doesn't... important than money.
1: And he's like, there yeah. are more important things than money. Uh,
0: they have one of their servants deliver their drinks or whatever it is. And they're like, here's your Christmas bonus. And it's $5. And I was just like, oh, man, you should just brain him with that tray, sir. <laughs> you well, should just. <laughs>
1: and my favorite, he goes, I'll go to the movies alone. And yeah. the other guy goes, oh, no, that's split between the two of us
0: yes yes it's like uh can you can you just pull a uh (laughs) can you just pull a 1990s wrestler and just crack this old dude across the face (laughs) with that tray (laughs) back out like that's what i want here she's like a of this tray rattling off his old man's forehead it looked like get out in this country club (laughs) yes it really really it's all
1: old white men and black people serving them in suits and it's very weird.
0: But it's also done absolutely 1000% intentionally. Oh, that's the, obviously that is the point. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, just, yeah, like even this, still, that's just a yes. weird thing to see. Agreed. Agreed. But less anyone think, like I, this, all of the choices in this movie that make these dudes horrible monsters are totally on purpose by John Landis, intentional, like very, very intentional things. Oh yeah.
1: And this is where we get the first instance of the name Clarence Beeks, right. that it's, my first thought, because it's been a minute since I've seen this movie, so I forgot specific. And like I said, I know the beginning and end more than the middle. Um, so when they they both get very shifty, the brothers, when Clarence Beek's check comes up. He's like, because Dan Aykroyd says, I don't know who this person is. Like, this isn't someone who works at the firm. Is this a real, should I just throw this check away? And they're right. like, no, it's fine. I'll take care of it. It's not a big deal. I'll take care of it. And I was like, oh, okay. So this must be like them squirreling away money was my first thought.
0: Right. I did too. I thought this was like some weird form of embezzlement. Yeah. I've seen the movie a zillion times and I totally forgot the, the, what the checks. I like, I, I knew the end of the movie and I still forgot the, how the check part played into it, which is kind of embarrassing.
1: Uh, So yeah, we both thought it was going to be an embezzlement, like siphoning away money.
0: Yeah. It's like I said, I, it's not even that it's like, I just couldn't remember how that played into the scheme because it's, like ultimately kind of an inconsequential detail as far as it, the whole thing goes. It's funny, he
1: shouldn't be as important as he is in the movie. Like, they really put a lot of energy into like showing him what for when like he's in for what it's worth, he's just a guy doing his doing the job he was told to do. There doesn't seem to be anything personal about it. But he really gets like the shittiest end of the
0: stick. Right? I don't know if I agree with you, because he is the one who, like, plants drugs on Dan Aykroyd, falls yeah, him into jail, pays off the crooked Frank Oz cop to to mess with him. Like, I, I you're not wrong, but I also felt like this guy deserved a real good what-for. But it
1: feels like, to me, like they went after him a little harder than they did. Like, the brothers I didn't get stuck in a monkey cage.
0: I also think it's because the brothers are old men, and there's, like, a weird... It's almost like it's like like dogs, children and the elderly are very protected in movies. Like if any of those people go down, you're like, oh, shit, what am I in for here? So I feel like they couldn't have like, like like the true. Well, I'll put a pin in this because I want to come back to it. But the true evil things I don't think are allowed in movie world to happen to the old men because they are old men, even if they're evil monsters. That makes sense. Yeah. So Dan Aykroyd. uh bats no eyes about this Clarence Beaks thing. He's just like, yeah, whatever. He heads outside with this briefcase and Eddie Murphy bumps into him and drops it. And he immediately goes into like white man mode. I was thinking more like there was a whole rash of horrible people like this this year. They got like amusing nicknames of like people calling the cops on black people for having a barbecue or whatever. And he like goes, I was thinking of it.
1: Although I see, I've seen a lot of videos of like, the black people end up filming the white racist people being super yes. racist, and I'm like, yes. "Oh, this is gonna, oh, this is wonderful to see you get your comeuppance." Yeah, so that's because within minutes into... the internet goes, "Oh, this is their name, this is their address, this is where they work. Let's all email their boss."
0: <laughs> yeah, that's wolf. um. Anyway, he is like, "This man's stealing my briefcase." When Eddie Murphy is actively like, "Oh, you dropped this here," and it's like, "Like, oh no, this is not how this is supposed to go." do so right he... now. Yes. So we end up in a very amusing chase sequence throughout the the Fuddy Duddy old man's club, you know, whatever it is. And then just the one of the great lines of the it's whole movie So could is Eddie Murphy and there's like I don't know, in a very John Landis setup where it's like all the hands come into the frame with the guns and it's like sixty five pistols pointed at Eddie Murphy's. He's face. crawling
1: under a table and like clearly is surrounded and flips onto his back. All the hands come in he goes their are bomb offices?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just so it's, brilliant. It's really magical, yeah. Both he and Dan Aykroyd are fabulous in this movie. Oh, and they're so... Like, and this is, like, prime Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, it holds up much better than, say, I don't know, the Raw <laughs> comedy special, which is just, like, deeply uncomfortable <laughs> at this point. Uh, most of this is pretty okay. There's there's terrible stuff in this in this thing, but he mostly doesn't say it, I don't think. Oh maybe, I think he drops one F bomb. He drops a couple F bombs. Okay. I could yeah, as I was saying it, I was like, no, he does say that. So he drops a couple F bombs and Dan Aykroyd does blackface. So the, both things that are just The not N-word cool. both both
1: versions of the N word get <laughs> tossed around too.
0: Yes. Um anyway, the chase sequence happens, and then we go to <laughs> Dan Aykroyd's house. Where his girlfriend is like super. Oh no, returned. we missed this. Uh,
1: the the Koch brother, or the Duke brothers, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I've
0: ruined it for you.
1: The Koch brothers uh, end up d- coming up with their little scheme.
0: Yes, that's right. Because the whole uh, idea is that's where, this is nature. where
1: the one brother called, refers to Eddie Murphy as a Negro. Yes, as the reasoning for why he w- he's a criminal, and I was like, oh, oh, let me grip a table real quick and just. Yeah. Okay, buckle yeah. up, everyone. Amici. Don Amici, what are you doing to me? And I wrote, I already have anxiety from their little plot. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is really anxiety causing. Because the, here's the, th- like, it's so sociopathic because they report, like, Dan Aykroyd is dating their grand, is, like, engaged to their grandniece. Like, someone yes. they like and respect in the company. They're, he's going to be a part of their family. It's someone they care about and respect. Yep. And for literally no reason at all, they're just like, well, what if we just ruined his life and just saw what yeah. happened? Yeah. For... What do you think would happen? And it it pisses me off more that the bet is only for $1. Yeah. Like, if it was for, like, a yacht or, like, 100000 like, if it was just, a, a, like, an FU level of money, I would be less angry.
0: But because it's a like $1, it pisses me off even more. Well, the sociopathic thing is that it's not about it's a, it literally a bet about who was right and yeah, being right exactly. like you like you would ruin a man's life to prove you were right about a theory is the crazy psychopath nonsense. It's the kind of thing that like Mr. Fishoder
1: and his little brother would do on Bob's Burgers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but they're like a comedy villain exactly, like from a cartoon. It, it, it seems like, like a thing that like I would I would be much happier
1: about as a Bob's Burgers episode than yes, I would. Because yes, I enjoy this movie a lot. It's good, and it's a breath of fresh air from the nonsense we watch. But it does give me
0: a little anxiety because of how sociopathic it is. Oh, yeah. They're full monsters. So we go to Dan Aykroyd's house, and they're eating lobster, and his butler is like... Per- making crepes live in a pan next to him and his fiance with like that what do you call it when you like in flambe. the pan thank you uh, f- uh, uh pause minor amusing flambé note uh, i made a uh pasta recipe recently that i was like oh i bet this would be good with a little whiskey in it so i was like Oh, let me flambé this so is it my the pasta place. or the
1: went no, on the, the sauce
0: the sauce so i was like putting the sauce together and then i was like oh let me flambé this so I dump some whiskey in the pan and I'm like, do you want to do it? And she's like, yeah, all right. So she hits it with the stick lighter and it was just an instant <laughs> fireball. <laughs> like, like a good. She like, has no arm two. hair anymore. <laughs> it was about two and a half feet across. And it was like, I was video recording it. And I was like, all right, ready? Here you go. Go ahead. And then it was like, click, click, click. Woof. And I had to like dive in with the, lid <laughs> of the pot and be like, oh, 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 cover that up. Yep. Yep. So anyway, be careful when you flambé, but yeah, he's flambéing these crepes. But the, the He's my favorite character, I think. He, he, Coleman. I, I, yes, I love Coleman a lot too. Although I would like it better if Coleman wasn't so complicit in this thing for a while. But we'll, we can, we can pick up on that in a minute. Yeah. But what I, I have say is, I have some rewrites for that scene. The part that makes me really hate Dan Aykroyd is he and his fiance are talking in front of this man like he's a piece of furniture, and it's like, do not include this man in your sexy talk, okay? Like, he's making your friggin' dessert here live in front of you while you eat lobsters, and he's like... That he also probably killed and cooked. Yes, 1,000%. And you two... She's like, I want you right now. And it's not explicit, but it's still uncomfortable. Like, hey, hey, that's a person, okay? A person who's making a meal right now. Yes, for you. And so they like adjourn to the other room to go fool around and they the, say oh you can have the dessert it's all yours buddy the cut Keep the change from, the cut from him saying thank you to dumping it in the trash can is like Mwah, such oh, good direction so good uh and then they go into the other room and they have like very sad rich people sexy time where they're like very clinically undressing each other and talking it's about a so party so
1: weird okay uh, here's <laughs> another pr- another issue i have with this movie is it's very handmaid's tale the way that they like get down to business a little bit yeah um what are we supposed to think about penelope his fiance like what are we supposed to think of her or like gather of her as a person i mean i think she's a trash monster but is so that's what we're supposed to get like it's just it's one of those things that i was like i don't know their relationship like how long have they been dating why should like, like is it like is it uh, I mean, like, she,
0: she leaves him instantaneously without yeah. letting him defend himself. I mean, I really feel like the way this movie is written and directed is rich people are evil, which is like not a thing I have a problem with. As, as No, a movie I don't be. either.
1: It's just, it's one of those things that like, uh, it, the movie doesn't, it, it never feels to go, it never seems like it goes all the way in of like, sh- like, they're garbage of the way it does with the Duke brothers. Cause like, they're very clearly garbage. But all the other rich characters don't seem garbage in that way. It seems like they're all just influenced by the Duke brothers. Like, I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be, oh, rich people are all cold and, you know, unfeeling I, or what.
0: I see. I, think I, I would disagree with you. I think these people are characterized as, as just underneath the, the Duke brothers in terms of sociopathness because later when we see Dan Aykroyd go to the, like the tennis club or whatever the heck they're at, country where they're club. all drinking. Yeah. Yeah, it's a country club. They're like singing a cappella and whatever, and he comes in and they're all like, Um, you're trash and we want nothing to do with you without even giving him a second to be like, Hey, this is a weird situation that's happening to me. I would sure be grateful if you would help me out. They're all like, Oh no, sorry. <laughs> you're poor now. I yeah, I can see that too. So they're like to me it's like the the Duke brothers are a ten and these the rest of the rich people are like a uh, seven. That's fair. So we cut to um eddie murphy in prison and the two dudes the heavy dude and the the yeah
1: i love that dude
0: he's that joke (laughs) that joke is so dumb but so brilliant it is that's exactly what i was thinking like it's a perfect dumb joke where his literally the whole character is like you just yell yeah (laughs) and you're like the, the guy the little twerpy he's not he's a big dude as well but like you're the equivalent of the little twerpy, you know, chirpy character that's like chiming in. Scott Farkas is the, is bu- is the bully,
1: and then there's the uh, the other one whose name I can't remember. Yes, but it's like that. It's supposed to be that, but they're both like giant. They look like Gris and Dot from Thirty Rock.
0: Yeah, they're enormous human. In beings, terms of size, b- I don't mean to say they look like those car- those actors. Yeah, but, like, yeah, yeah. In they're terms huge. Of size. They're bodyguard type dudes. Yeah, yeah. But so Eddie's like going back and forth with these guys, and then there there's some really clever writing where it's like. Uh, he's like yelling for help and like, don't you know who I am? And it's like uh, uh, Billy Ray Valentine. He's like, yeah, that's me. And like saved by the bell, basically. Um, and this is when we get the plot of the movie laid out for us. The Duke brothers get him in the car and they're like, hey, here's some nice cigars. Here's some nice whiskey. We have a house for you. Like you're going to we're going to train you to be an executive. How? What do you think about that? And he's like, this is obviously fake. He, go- he leans forward to their driver,
1: who's a black man. And he's like, uh, is this real? Is this real?
0: And the driver's like, yes, this is real. <laughs> um. So he ends up going to the house where he meets the butler uh, who we were just talking about. What's the butler's character's name? Coleman, Coleman right? Okay, like the Coleman. mustard. Yeah.
1: Coleman's English mustard.
0: Oh, not like the lantern Coleman's or the camping mustard. equipment? Oh, you're right. That's <laughs> yeah. you with a coolers i'm anyway. just that fat kid that i'm like yeah like mustard like mustard and like bougie mustard <laughs> i haven't even heard of colvin's mustard it's good mustard oh well do you put it on your pate like <laughs> jesus um i also i love the moment where so they they're like shelling anymore at the house and the one duke brother's like oh you should probably take a hot bath so we get up in the in the bathtub and it's like a rich person from the eighties bathtub where all the appliances are black. Or um the fixtures are black, not the appliances. And it's like and set it, into the floor, so yes.
1: someone has to like look down. It's
0: a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, your like armpit is at other people's shoe level. They have it's like a real step down, but whatever. It's like but, a jacuzzi at like a pool. Yeah, yeah. But Eddie Murphy has, the character of Billy Ray Valentine, Eddie Murphy's character, has clearly never seen a hot tub or a whirlpool tub, like, doesn't even know that this is a thing that exists, and his line, when I was a kid and we wanted bubbles, we had to fart in the tub, made me laugh, I forgot about it, and it, like, <laughs> caught me right in the, the the funny bone, like, I was giggling.
1: He also, at several points, thinks they're just trying to have sex with him, like, these just are too, like...
0: Which, to be fair! I, I would, too. My first <laughs> thought, be like, oh, this is a sex thing, I guess. Yes! Exactly, like, I guess I got bailed to be their sex slave, particularly because they're old white men and he's a black man. There's like, like even a young, like a young handsome black man. Yeah, like there's even more layers of like this is probably somebody's fetish that I'm trying to be part of here. Um, but no, they just maybe their they're trying of to get things. out me. <laughs> yes, that would be the real fear. That's now. what
1: see if they, if he, if he does a get out sequel, I want it to be a like trading places style where they rather than like the whole like. What's her face from a Girls' Boyfriend thing? It's like they find like a young black man off the street, and they're like, "We're gonna groom you to be an executive, and then take your brain. We'll take your body."
0: <laughs> so he gets out of the tub, and they're like showing him all around the house, all these things, and he doesn't believe anything. Also, a his. weak
1: jacuzzi. I'm sorry, I hate to harp on the jacuzzi. Yeah, it does only have it's,
0: one one jet. It's like
1: blah blah, blah blah
0: blah. I did assume that was for the movie, though. Oh, you think? Like sound or whatever? That well, even, even visually, it didn't look very like. Yeah, as a sad jacuzzi. You're, you're not wrong. Yeah. But I love that, like, they're like, oh, all well, this is yours. You don't have to, like, tuck things into your pockets. It's your stuff. And he's like, yeah, like, this vase. And he starts, like, Harlem trottering the vase and it breaks. And they're like, oh, we, we insured that for $15,000 more than it's worth. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I hope you both die bad. It
1: was, they were like, that was a $35,000 vase. And I was like, that's a salary. That's like a year's
0: salary mm-hmm, for some mm-hmm. people. Before taxes. For a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And you're just like, oh, no, I, I spent it on porcelain because I'm a psycho. So we cut to we have to set the rest of the plan in motion. Um, this is one of my favorite sets in the whole movie. It's this huge horseshoe conference table where all. Oh, these, yeah, it's cool. These brokers are set around it. And then behind them is like two more rows of people. And it's like very parliamentary looking. But the, yeah, the it, it r-
1: does have a very yeah, Parliament Senate feel.
0: Yeah, and the the room is this, like, huge, very high-ceilinged oak walls, like, heavy old wood, dark furniture-type deal, and every square inch of the walls are covered with portraits of various sizes, and it's just, like, the visuals of it are just amazing and really help tell so much of the story of these people of, like, oh, man, like, could you imagine walking into a room like this and how uncomfortable you'd feel? Like, oh, I would it's- hate it. It's such good character work that the set design does, which is really awesome.
1: Yeah, it's nice to have a, a well constructed film.
0: <laughs> yes, like, but also, like, you can have a really well constructed film that doesn't take the time to think, like, oh, how can I design this set piece to tell my story in ways that, like, your brain is going to notice, but the, your, you know, conscious mind might not, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and this is where so, Clarence Beaks comes in. Yes.
1: They call on him again, and he's like, there were $150. Three $50 bills have been stolen from someone's pocket. They were marked yes. with a red X. And my brain went, what millionaire in this room <laughs> needs
0: to steal $150? Exactly. Exactly. I have the same problem with you, do as this. It's like, not only is that insane, but it's insane that everybody just agrees this is what's happening. And then they find... Like, at the police station later, they find drugs on Dan Aykroyd. So, immediately, they're all like, oh, he was doing drugs. And it's like, well, nobody noticed. <laughs> like, how did nobody notice that he was selling heroin or whatever they think it yeah. is? Yeah. PCP,
1: yeah. PCP. It's just like, also, who noticed they were missing $150? Because
0: I promise you none of them would. Right. No. Uh. So, he gets, he gets arrested, and the... The dirty cop who's booking him is the one and only Frank Oz. Miss Piggy. and or, 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 not Kermit, or Fozzie Bear, depending. Yeah. Well, his natural voice is close to Fozzie. It's very close to Fozzie, <laughs> in like a disconcerting way. If you closed your eyes and listened to him being like, huh. Waddle Baggy. There's one, oh, I can't do it. I thought I had a, a Fozzie, I don't. <laughs> but if you closed your eyes and listened to the scene, you'd be like, is that Fozzie Bear doing PCP? But he does my favorite cliche TV and movie cop thing, which is like, oh, look at this bag of mysterious powder. I'm going to dip my pinky into it and lick it. You just did PCP. Yeah. <laughs> you just did it. What are you doing? That's not like we have machines for this. But like even back in the day, that cannot have been the protocol for like, I found a mysterious baggie of powder. Is this cocaine? Let me just lick it. Like, there's no way that was it. You do, That's doing cocaine. That, or, worse, like, or worse, what if they were yes. poisoning you? Right. So I just, every time I see that in movies, it gives me the giggles. It's like, come on, what are you doing? Well, I remember there was, what is that movie?
1: It's like the the cop spoof movie with like, it had Whoopi Goldberg in it for a minute. Tim Curry is in it. Loaded weapon. Yeah. In that, in Loaded Weapon, there's a scene where like someone does that and then they like the camera pans away and then pans back and it's just a skeleton that's like shaking.
0: Yes, from the cocaine. Yes, like that's that what that yes. is what I want to see. Yeah, if I dipped my fingertip in cocaine and licked it, I would be so high on cocaine. Like, because I, I, I don't. Because again, as we as we discovered, as we
1: discovered, as we discussed, not discovered, <laughs> as we discussed previously, cocaine is one of them snorting drugs. Exactly, and I imagine if you were to just ingest
0: it orally, you'd probably. Not do well for yourself. Well in cocaine it, so it's all about entering your bloodstream. So it's like in cocaine movies, they're always rubbing it into their gums when it's oh, just like a little bit left. I for I I never like put two and two together. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. So it's a snorting drug, but they also just like rub it under their gums. So if you just licked it, it's like, well, I just did some cocaine. Excuse me for a minute. I'm gonna go be really high now. I'm gonna go accomplish so much while my pupils right. take over my eyes. Exactly. So he gets booked in to go to the jail. We cut to Eddie Murphy at the bar and he's like, you know, he owns this place. Now he walks in like king of the universe. It's definitely a bar. He's his regular hangout. But now he's like, look at me. I got all this money. That would make me so at first, I like, again, forgot for a second. I was like, oh,
1: no, what if someone someone's just going to rob him? Someone is just going to at this bar is going to take all of his money. Because that's what it seems like is is like gearing up to. And he all of a sudden starts like he's literally throwing money. It's, yeah. I don't mean faci- He literally is just like throwing money at the bartender, like, hey, eh, yeah, get yeah, some yeah. champagne. I'll cover your $27. Whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we run into the guys from jail, including the yeah, guy, and he decides, like, F it, we're gonna have a house party. So he piles this whole bar into his limo and they go back to his house, and he immediately is in like rich guy mode of like, don't you know how to use a coaster? What's wrong with I the did, people? I did Come like on. that it was such a quick fit, a quick turn for him. <laughs> yes. Of like you people are monsters. You're ruining my house. Get out of my house. I, I also forgot how much nudity is in this. There's the so movie. much casual nudity. <laughs> it's like, oh, that woman just started, whoa, there's just boobs everywhere now. <laughs> No like, one wears a bra in this universe. No, I remembered Jamie Lee Curtis nudity later in the movie, but I forgot. Because
1: that's the nudity they talk about in Scream, right? Like, that's her yes. first
0: topless. Scene. Yes, it is. Yes. Flash, <laughs> I don't know. Has she done? Are there been any others? She has that very famous striptease scene in True, in True Lies, Lies. But I, she doesn't get naked she, in that. Yeah, I think she wears lingerie for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. Also, but anyway. this is only This movie is only five years after Halloween. I know. Just perspective. Know. That was like a headcanon. This
0: is Laurie Strode. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, she does have a very good head on her shoulders. And she's She's got her business plan all taken care of.
1: That's right. I, mean. I mean, like, she just got real, like, mentally fucked up from the whole Michael Myers thing.
0: Although I will say... It, she, we, she, we're almost there anyway. She, like, talks about her retirement plan and how she's got, like, $40,000 saved, and she's, I was like... like, $40,000? Oh. She, well, she's, like, I'm about to retire, and I was, like, oh, darling, no, 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 that's not nearly enough. That's not
1: nearly enough at all. I was gonna say, I don't know how long has it taken you to get 40000 because if it's, if it's been, like, oh, it's been two years, I'm gonna save a couple more, like, sure, then you're gonna have 80000 that feels like retirement money.
0: What? $80,000 is not retirement money! In
1: eighty three, no way. I think in eighty three you could have been comfortable for a while,
0: like five years maybe. <laughs> that is not that much money. But again, in the eighties, everything is different. Uh, the money is like different. A, It's like it's like a good salary for a year. Eighty thousand dollars? No, like forty k. Even if oh. you double it, is like Dan Aykroyd's probably clear in three or four hundred k.
1: Oh yeah, he is because they. They say what his salary is going to be. Eddie Murphy. And I think it's 300. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So I would imagine Dan Aykroyd is around there.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so go to the house party and then the exit is also a really great visual gag. That's just pure John Landis, where Coleman, the butler, is holding everyone's coats like his arms are straight out and the coats are like up over his head. And then one by one, the party like reveals Coleman until the last very scantily clad woman like needs him to help her shimmy into her fur before she leaves. <laughs> So, we go and see Dan Aykroyd get bailed out, and Jamie Lee Curtis smooches him on the steps, which makes his fiancé leave him. Well, she also says, give me, I need more angel dust. Yes, yes, she does. It's, it's a little still. more than a smooch. Yeah. Um, she was put up to it by Beaks, and... Who like creepily watches it happen from the median across the road and is just like standing there watching this whole thing play out like a real like he's got his hands in his pockets and I think he might be touching himself. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hole in his coat pocket. Uh huh. A very strategically placed one that links to his p- pants pocket, which also has a hole in it.
1: Uh, he he told Jamie Lee that they were buddy that he and uh, Dan Aykroyd were buddies and this is a, just a practical joke and he'll laugh about it so don't worry. But like here's the thing, even if he told her that, as soon as she did it and his fiance got upset,
0: wouldn't her reaction be like, oh, this isn't a? I always thought this was a joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was brought into this as a bit. It seems like this is not going the way it was planned. I'm so sorry. Uh, so. He ends up trying to get a ride home with Jamie Lee Curtis, like to his home so he can you know, repair. And Coleman just shuts him out at the door. Then he. Tries so to is to- Eddie Murphy in his house? I'm or- pretty sure. Yes.
1: I couldn't tell because we never fully got a
0: good glimpse of either house. I- I'm pretty sure. I- I'll say this. I'm positive Eddie Murphy's in Dan Aykroyd's house at the- some point. If you're asking at this exact second, I don't know the answer to that. No, no, no. I meant like so. The house that gave Eddie Murphy is Dan Aykroyd's house. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um.
1: So then, where was? Oh, I guess he didn't. He wasn't living with his fiance. Never mind. That's too. We're not going to deep dive into that. <laughs> um. Well, this, maybe she just left because she does go immediately shack up with that other
0: dude. It seems like that's true.
1: Um. This is the moment where I like what I wanted was. When Coleman shuts him out and won't let him in, I wanted, like, Coleman on the... I wanted a shot of the other side of the door of Coleman, like, very upset, like, leaning against the door, like, that scene in Frozen, where he's just, like, <laughs> crying against the door, like, don't you see? We don't want you anymore.
0: Well, that's the thing about I out struggle out of here, here. Is like, Coleman wouldn't like Dan Aykroyd. He's a dick to him all the time. But there seems to be a weird sense of, like, understanding. Loyalty. Yeah. Of, I said loyalty, but understanding yeah, is Yeah, loyalty really and
1: understanding. Because, like I said, it, it, there's a weird. It's it never seems malicious from Dan Aykroyd. Like it never feels like you're a peon beneath me. It just feels like this is the way we do it. Which again yeah, leads me you're, believe you're that you're totally like, right. I, and I hate to sound like a rich white guy apologist. It's just for like for some reason the way the movie is structured, it feels like we don't get enough explicit. Like if the movie said like Dan Aykroyd grew up with into the silver spoon in his mouth, like. You know, grew up a millionaire and has had servants his whole life. Like that would make more sense to me because he's not mean to anybody other than Dan- other than um Eddie Murphy that he's who seems more racist than it is, you know, right. moneyist.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. I just feel like anybody who treats another human being like that I don't have a lot of sympathy for it. <laughs> oh no, I, I don't think he's a good person, but the right. the
1: way he treated Coleman, it didn't feel like It didn't feel like the wicked stepmother treats Cinderella. It felt just like, well, this is how we do it. Yeah,
0: I hear you on that. I hear you on that. Anyway, um, he goes to the bank, and the bank, of course, won't give him any money. And I love how this is just like another one of those little details you notice on your 65th watch of a movie is like the rent a cop at the bank escorts him out. And instead of just like walking him out, he makes a point to shove him to the ground at the end. Yeah. so, So that Dan Aykroyd can like be. Well, it's such a great little movie thing, though, because. Like, one, it's silly that the cop does that. But from the movie standpoint, like, Dan Aykroyd looks so much more pitiful doing the next sequence on the ground. And so it's, like, the perfect way to get him there. But when you think about it, was like, man, what if a vindictive rent-a-cop that's just like, yeah, get right? out of here and shove him to the ground? Like, Jesus, man, he's already out of the bank.
1: <gasps> and uh, so Jamie Lee's like, "Uh, fine. So uh, <laughs> it's just a whole, it's gaslighting. This movie is gaslighting and it really yes. gets me. Yes. No, it is. And Jamie Lee's like, fine, I'm going to regret this, but I'm going to take you under my wing. Come with me.
0: Yeah. And And then then the bank men explain their job. Thank God. Because I was like, I just, I'm confused. (laughs) This is definitely for the audience, but I love the part where as they're explaining how commodities trading goes, they're like, this is pork belly, which is used to make bacon, like in your bacon lettuce and tomato sandwich. And Eddie Murphy does like a Jim Halpert look to camera. I wrote that
1: data <laughs> word for word. Jim,
0: look at the camera. <laughs> he, so uh, basically, uh, whatever that actor's name is, Jim Emily Blunt, Mister Emily Blunt, yes, John Krasinski. Yeah, thank you. I was like, it's a J. Um, he just lifted his whole gag from this one joke that Eddie Murphy did in Trading Places.
1: Uh. So we get to Laurie Strode's apartment. Yeah. And she opens a, an armoire that is full of clothes. And she's like, you can have these men's clothes that were here when I moved in. And I was like, why did you keep them?
0: <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. But I love Unless the Unless you're outfit. upcycling. Yeah. But I love... It's like it's like a very 70s leisure suit, uh, checkered suit and pants. Suit yeah. Pants. And then... The shirt is, like, a silk thing with, like, ocean waves on it or something. It's nightmarishly weird. It's so bizarre. And a fur coat. And a fur coat, yes. So, she explains her whole deal and is like, I have all this money set aside. You seem like you actually know what you're doing and I believe your story. So, in exchange for you, me helping you, you're going to give me $15,000.
1: Yeah, when you get back on your feet, you're going to pay up.
0: Yeah. So, she offers him a deal. We cut back to Eddie Murphy, who's with the Duke brothers. And they this movie very wisely gives Eddie Murphy, great at stand-up comedy, a bunch of like funny monologues to do that are essentially like stand-up bits. Yeah. So his whole thing of like, oh, pork belly is gonna hit this price, I think we should wait for it, is explained in like, you know, air quotes used like his street knowledge terms but is also just like a very smart point that he makes of like oh it's christmas these guys are gonna be worrying so we should wait for this price thing to happen da, 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 da. but mostly it's just like hey eddie go do like three minutes of stand up
1: yeah and this is to me assuming that they gave him dan Aykroyd's old job which i think they, they did, did yeah yeah they did um doesn't that like is this what it hit dan Aykroyd's job was was just guessing and hoping he was right about the market Cause that's what I it mean, seems like Eddie Murphy's
0: doing. It's just kind I mean, of been like what, that's what these jobs are now. Like it's educated guesswork, but it's still guesswork. Yeah, I guess. I mean, there's a reason why every financial advisor in history has been like take your money and put it in a f- mutual fund that is tied to general market performance. As opposed to trying to guesswork, beat the market, or hire someone who's going to guess and beat the market. Because over the long term, you will always win with the first option. And he's one of the other guys that tries to make more money in the short term. Ah. So we cut to the part of the movie that makes me want to throw people out the window. And it's very obviously the same guy who directed Animal House. Oh, the frat douches? Yes, the Ivy League frat douches in particular. So they're singing a cappella, which is like clearly a big deal at Ivy League schools somehow because it was like a whole subplot on The Office. Oh, that's well. right. <laughs> it's like why is it always a cappella with these Ivy League twerps?
1: Yeah, but it, it, like you go down the line, and like, you're
0: Thad, you're Chad, you're Tad, yeah. and you're Brad. There's maybe a Derek in there. <sighs> so they they hear they, this is when Dan Aykroyd, as we alluded to earlier, he shows up and he's like, "Hey, I need some help," and they're like, "Nah, we don't we don't want anything to do with you. You're trash." So, you know, he gets shut out here, and then he goes to a pawn shop where Bo Diddley has this amazing cameo as a pawn <laughs> shop owner. He's got this, like,
1: $7,000 watch, I think he says. Yep. And uh, and this is... I think this is just something Dad says a lot.
0: Yes. Right? <laughs> Mom does it, too. Yeah. In Philadelphia, I was like, I- it's worth $50. he said it, and I was like, oh, right, that's from this movie. Yeah, Oh, oh this is, like... At least in the top three quoted movies among our family members, because Gig is always doing the, yeah, thing.
1: That's where that comes from? (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's why he does that all the time.
1: I didn't know that came from here. I thought that was just a thing.
0: (laughs) No, that's from this.
1: Indeed, that's from this. Wow, this movie is like, should be like required viewing.
0: Yeah. Um, So yeah, Bo Diddley has this amazing cameo where he thinks the watch is stolen and uh, he's like asking for a receipt. And like, I buy him not thinking this watch is on the up and up because Dan Aykroyd has like a huge black eye and is wearing a fur coat and a net mesh shirt. Yeah, it it doesn't look
1: (laughs) doesn't look on the squeaky clean.
0: Right. Uh, So he does. He gives him 50 bucks for his watch. And then my like, I know I said it already, but this is probably my second favorite scene after Eddie Murphy and the guns is. Dan Aykroyd in this fur coat walking by the restaurant where Eddie Murphy is eating with the Duke brothers and he's, just, it's like pouring down rain and he's just standing there in the rain, watching them eat dinner. It's so good. I love it so much. You're not going to get this reference, but people out there might. The one guy who's telling jokes at the table tells this, like, really overly long joke about a snail getting his car painted with an S. So people have to say, like, look at that S car go. I'm like, that's a popsicle joke that takes two sentences, bro. Yeah. He tells it in, like, 20 minutes. But he really reminds me of the guy from Goodfellas who's the wig shop owner who's, like, a real, like, uh he, like, th- like really desperately wants to be part of the crew and sort of isn't, and it sort of plays off that, but he has this amazing facial hair that's, like, a beard that's not connected to a mustache and also doesn't connect on his sideburns either. Oh, that's weird. The guy in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So he gets sick from standing out in the rain, and this is the part where he and Jamie Lee Curtis fall in love on fast-forward mode? Yeah, I guess. Why
1: can't they just... Why can't anyone ever just be friends? Like, I just want a couple of besties.
0: Yeah. Or, like, I don't care if they fall in love, but it shouldn't happen this quickly. Like, she's supposed to be meeting a client, and he's like, no, I'll leave. I'll take a walk. It'll be fine. And, like, kudos to him to- for doing that. But she's like, no, no, stay in bed. You're sick. But I, <laughs> she gets undressed. Like, she takes her clothes off. And so she's- she takes
1: her wig off. And I was like, oh, that's right. She has had short hair for literally ever After yes. after well, she Halloween. T- she took
0: it off earlier in the movie, too. Oh, did she? Yeah, which I actually thought was bad because I thought here it would have been like this moment of vulnerability and it would have added a lot to the, the characters coming together of like she like literally gets naked, including taking the wig off. But she so she's just wearing underwear. She gets in the bed topless and like cuddles up behind him. But she's, she's still wearing these him. earrings. Yeah, she's big spoon. But she's wearing these earrings that are like like the size of a. Uh, like the bottom of a pint glass and they look really heavy. And I'm just like, Hey, you're basically naked. Now. Why are you wearing those, those things? You can take those off. It's like, what are they bolted to your ear? What's going on?
1: So he decides to crash the company Christmas party in the dirtiest Santa costume he could find.
0: I think the idea is that he either found it in the trash or stole it from someone.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: Given the circumstances in which he's currently living, he has $50 to his name. Yeah. Oh, we also didn't mention at the pawn shop, we literally got a Chekhov's gun.
1: Oh, we did. You're so right.
0: Just, there is a Chekhov's gun lingering now.
1: Uh, and this is where Eddie Murphy has figured out that Clarence Beaks is a character and is like, I don't I don't know who this person is. And they're like, don't you worry your head about that. You go back to your au-. I'm picturing the Grinch like patting Cindy Lou Who's head and like scooting him, scooting her off to bed. Yes,
0: yes this uh, a light bulb on this tree is out. I need to take it to my workshop.
1: He got her, they got her a drink. They got him a drink and they sent him to bed.
0: That's it what did. happened. I also love that he overhears their scheme because he's sneaking a joint in the bathroom. That A joint that Dan Aykroyd planted. Yes. yeah. He, so a, he Eddie goes to his office.
1: Dan Aykroyd's planting drugs, actively planting them. And he's like, what's happening? And so Dan Aykroyd calls for the, the Duke brothers and they come in and he's like, look at all these pills. And it's literally the same thing that happened to him except this time they're like this time when the person being accused says those aren't mine everyone's like well that seems reasonable they're not his
0: (laughs) yes yes
1: i want it that should have been that should have been a moment for dan Aykroyd. like that should have been a line a thing that he recognized was like oh come on it worked last time (laughs) um so he pull so he pulls a gun out and runs away and then um he's also stuffed his pockets and suit with food we'll get to that in a minute
0: Yes. He and he literally goes down the buffet line and just like he picks up a slice of prime rib and puts it in his pocket. He just like gr- Yeah. But well,
1: when he goes to pull out his gun, he's holding a slice of prime rib and then he's like, never mind, and drops it. <laughs> um and so Eddie Murphy is like throwing the pills away and saying how they should prosecute to the full extent of the law and a turn of like, Oh, I guess I guess he's like, you know, rich guy shithead now. But he pockets a joint. Yeah. And he goes to the bathroom to smoke it. And the Duke brothers come in and reveal their whole plan to everybody. Well, not to everybody. They reveal it to each other. Like, oh, well, I guess we should return, you know, Eddie Murphy. And I. And then they're like, well, how do we get Dan Aykroyd back? And I'm like, uh, I don't want him back. And I was like, this is terrifying.
0: Yes. Yes. Like, they, they're just like, eh, we're done with him. We've had enough. Like, he is a toy that they don't like anymore.
1: Yes. And then... uh the Dan Amici says he doesn't want an N-word running his family's company. Always yeah. a fun time.
0: Yeah. Woof. Woof. Can we go back to the part where you just love Bigfoot?
1: Yeah, come on, don Amici. So, uh, Eddie Murphy runs out of the bathroom and tries to chase down Dan Aykroyd, who's gotten on a bus, and pulls a smoke, an entire smoked salmon out of his coat like reaches inside the top of the neck pulls out a whole smoked salmon and through his disgusting dirty like gray beard is just eating it on the bus
0: <laughs> he has a bit of beard stuck in it in his mouth and he like pulls it and these two people are repulsed but this is a, a sequence that our dad references like at least once a year in watching someone do something like someone eats something and our dad refers to it as like Dan Aykroyd eating fish out of his jacket.
1: <laughs> uh, it's one of those moments. I was like, if I came across that on a public transport, I don't know what I would do. I think I would just like get off at the next stop and be like, oh, I'm fine. I'll figure oh, I would it out.
0: Do, I would do what I do every time I see something uncomfortable in public transport, which is look at my phone and use my peripheral vision and pray desperately that they're not looking at me
1: yeah but that's what i mean i would get i i, I would be like i have to get off this bus you're eating smoked salmon out of your jacket yeah yeah really deeply re- so it's christmas eve and dan Aykroyd goes home and leaves the front door open and eddie murphy comes in right behind him and is like hey does e- lewis
0: something crenshaw winthorpe winthorpe thank you i knew it was hoity-toity He's a third and doesn't go by a trip, which is a miracle because every person named trip in every movie is a shithead. And the, he would have been like another in a long line of them. And I was like, really grateful that there wasn't a trip shithead in this movie. Yeah. And
1: so uh, Jamie Lee Curtis runs to the bathroom to get him. And this is when you realize her outfit is like a, a strapless jumpsuit that she's tucked into tall tube socks with stripes
0: yes and i am here for it as a christmas eve lurk (laughs) but this is when eddie murphy shows up and like reveals the whole plan to everybody and sort of sets the third act of this thing in motion
1: oh because uh did dan Aykroyd try to kill himself
0: yes he he, glosses over it real quick Well, he got off the bus, he got peed on by a dog, he attempted to shoot himself in the head, the gun didn't work, so he threw it away, and then there's, like, the perfect comedy gunshot sound of, like, yeah, and then a glass shattering and stuff. Um, Yeah, it's really quite ridiculous, and also totally glossed over, but yeah, so we- No, he tries to- he's taking pills in the bathtub. Oh, that's right, that's right, he does try to kill himself They literally stop him,
1: and I was like, this movie- does not pay enough attention to it. Yes. No, you're right. Because they sorry. just cut to him in bed at his house with, um. I almost called him clamshell. What's the butler? Coleman. <laughs> Coleman. Like the mustard.
0: Clamshell. <laughs> I was like, that's not right. That's just two words. Um, so he explains the whole deal and it's like, all right, so here's what they're doing. And immediately the three of them get together and start hatching a scheme of like how to use this orange juice futures against them.
1: Well, because they find out they're watching TV and they realize that the guy delivering the orange juice futures report orange orange
0: grove report yeah
1: yeah is clarence beaks because laurie strode recognizes him and um i was like how did he get this job i think
0: that's his regular job and that's what they're paying him for but also he's he's like a security liaison and they're like oh because we know you're the guy who escorts the futures prices in we're gonna pay you and i almost wonder if this is like not the first time this has happened
1: yeah that's true um, so they decide to they hatch a scheme, but they don't tell the audience what it is, which I kind of found refreshing.
0: Well, it's interesting. So there's kind of two ways to do this in movies, and I actually was just recently watching or reading you know, a thread online where people kind of complain about this, but if they explain the whole plan to you, it has to be basically narration, or else you basically listen to the entire plan and then watch what you just listened to, which is boring. Yeah. So I, I honestly prefer the sort of like, It'll be revealed in time. Just watch the movie. I mean, I, I as, if it's done in Shaun of the
1: Dead style, I like that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could be done great both ways. I, I think there's really ex- like Ocean's Eleven is a great example of one that uses like narration of how a scheme is going to go down to effectively make the scheme go down. I think it's many great ways to do it.
1: Yeah, um, and so this is just, so this was just insider trading. Is that what this would be qualified as? Y-
0: yes, exactly. So they basically are paying money to illegally know what the price of this is going to do at 10 AM because they're going to, so if they know the price is going to go high, they can purchase it low and make money on it that way. Or if it was going to drop really hard, they could uh, short sell it or do that. So
1: Yeah. So like the idea is that the market opens at nine, but the report doesn't come out until 10. Right. So there's that full, there's an hour beforehand of just like figure of like, playing around, right? I guess.
0: Right. Right. And so they think that the crop report is has, is going to say that orange juice got decimated by oranges got decimated by the freeze in Florida. So the price of orange juice is going to go way up. So their goal is before that report comes out, which will drive up the price of orange juice, they want to buy as much OJ as possible for as little as possible. So they're basically saying, OK, we know it's opening at 100 today. We're going to buy as much as we can up to 125, thinking that the price is eventually going to top 150 and we're going to make a bunch of money on top of what we made. So when it opens, they're like, bye, 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 bye. Let me get all the orange juice that I can get. Mm-hmm. Whereas Eddie and Dan Aykroyd know that the price of orange juice isn't going to skyrocket because the freeze didn't really affect it. But they don't know that. So they corner the market and buy up all the orange juice that they can. And then it's not worth what they paid for because there like the there is an abundance of orange juice so there's not a shortage So then I, I should we wait to get to get to that scene to really yeah, break yes. it down Yeah that's fine. Um we get on this insane New Year's Eve train which is the reason we're doing this movie today because there's like a like a big part of this movie takes place on New Year's Eve and I, so I always found the costume thing a little silly
1: like well, because at first uh, I got confused because they show them on Christmas Eve looking at this thing yes. and then cut right to them on the train. And my brain was like, OK, so the the orange juice report is in Philly for some reason and it has to go somewhere else. And then they get on. and I, I saw him walk past some costumed people. I was like, oh, they're mummers.
0: And yeah. then I was mummers. Uh, for those of you who aren't from Philadelphia is like a very odd Italian American tradition of dressing up. It's when up like a bunch clowns. of masculine men get clowns. real gay for a day. Yeah. It's like really elaborate costumes and over the top craziness. If you guys saw the Eagles uh, Super Bowl parade, Jason Kelsey, who was like the big man on campus with that, dressed in a mummers outfit. Quick sidebar Do you know how intensely they take judging the mummers competition? Yeah, no, it's like one of the biggest deals in the whole city.
1: No, like, so a friend of mine did it, and he was like, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was because I he grew up in Jersey and only knew tangentially of the Mummers." He was like, "They, I had... I The competition he was judging didn't start until 2. He had to be in the sequester chamber at 8 a.m., <laughs> and they hide him there. They're not allowed to, like... They don't want them, like, on their phones or talking to each other. Uh-huh. And then he was like, and then at noon they like took us in an underground tunnel and put us in a van drove us somewhere else and then (laughs) this is amazing and then like took them to a holding area there for another hour and then brought them up a back way and put them in a booth that was like completely it's it's basically like they're in an animatronic. At, they're basically in the Carousel of Progress. The curtain only goes up when someone's performing and then immediately falls so that they can write their notes and like, talk to each other. Really? I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. And then they give their scores in and they leave before everyone else does. And the judging, the scores aren't announced and tallied until everyone has texted confirmation that they've gotten home. Like you have to be home away from everyone, and then they will announce the scores.
0: Wow! Yeah, it's apparently that bananas. Somebody must have gotten murdered. It had to have happened. Yeah, like that is. There's no way that that's not what it was. This is like a. I'm sure there was a mafia connection in the numbers at some point or another. If there is, allegedly. Still, yeah. <laughs> yes, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> An alleged potential connection. Yes. Let's not. I'm so sorry, both mummers and mafia, <laughs> and our family. So that's amazing, uh, but yeah. it is not the mummers. It is there is just a Philadelphia Stock Exchange in this universe. I I guess it's real. I really no, don't. It's in know. New York. I think
1: I think they they're no because the they say
0: this train is stopping in Philadelphia. Are you getting off? So what I think it was is
1: the train goes from DC to Philly, and then they went from Philly to New York.
0: No. The Philadelphia Stock Exchange is the oldest stock exchange in the United States. Founded in 1790, it was originally named the Board Brokers of Philadelphia. But they went to New York in the end. They're in Suburban Station. Hmm. I I'm think like- you're wrong. <laughs> I think it's Philadelphia Stock Exchange. I think that's the whole deal. Hold up. You're right. I'm sorry. They traveled to New York, New York City. City. Yeah, you're right. I, I I didn't know that. Anyway, we're on this train with Al Franken and a small cameo, by the way. Disgraced Senator Al Franken. And James Belushi. Yes disgraced younger brother of jim or yeah <laughs> <laughs> jimothy wait just, i should have said disgraced younger brother of john i said jim. yeah Jesus. i was you said yeah like, no that is jim belushi no 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 so there's really ridiculous costumes among the four of coleman jamie lee curtis eddie murphy and dan Aykroyd. they're all playing like really big broad stereotypes of cult- country i and don't culture. this is the one of the few times where like i feel
1: like he should have recognized eddie murphy
0: well, he also should recognize Jamie Lee Curtis. She's wearing like a dollar store wig. Yeah, but he only saw her once. True.
1: But as opposed to Eddie Murphy, who was like... And I like, guess she
0: was wearing a different wig at that point. That's true. That's true. She was. And wigs change your face.
1: Yeah. Um. I feel like he should have definitely recognized Eddie Murphy... Yeah, because he, he only recognizes him like the jig is only really and then even the jig isn't even up when blackface Dan Aykroyd comes in. Right. He has to see blackface Dan Aykroyd moving the briefcase before yes. he's like,
0: there's something fishy going on here. Yes, yes. Um, But yeah, Dan Aykroyd, blackface, really uncomfortable. And the movie does like a like a, I think the movie even knows it because he gets that off really quickly. I wrote all caps blackface. Oh, boy, did I forget that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he escorts them through the party. They have the big scuffle. The gorilla ends up knocking him out because Jim Belushi walks in in a gorilla costume and he like affronts him and the gorilla like protects its own, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I like this gorilla. So there's like a really ridiculous ape gag where they end up um, uh, gagging. The the beaks. What's the the dude's uh, really famously from The Breakfast Club? By the yeah, way, the we bowl. didn't mention that the principal from The Breakfast Club. He gets gagged and then they put him in the gorilla costume and stick him in there. And then there's a great gag where Jim Belushi walks back into the party. He's like, "Hey, look what happened to my costume!" And then people are like, "Hey, you're naked!" Hey. Well, mostly, yeah.
1: I wanted everyone to get naked at that point. They'd be like, "Hey,
0: naked party now!" <laughs> naked party, yeah. Like that's
1: yeah. what it seemed like this crowd would have done. I think that would have been fine in this movie. Um, so that, did, I don't know why, how, because so Coleman can't seem to get the costume. I mean, not Coleman. Beeks can't seem to get the costume off. So I'm right. like, did they like glue it to him? Like,
0: what happened here? Yeah, somehow he can't take the head off, which I don't, I don't quite follow, but. Yeah. It's also, you know, a stupid comedy, so it's fine. I know, I he, know. They needed to put him on an Uber out of the movie, so they made him the love slave of an ape. But then they go back and remind you that that
1: happened later. Yes, I know. It's very weird. Um, so they're at, the, they're at Suburban Station to go to New York, and as uh, Dan Aykroyd goes to kiss, he hands his briefcase to, or the, the money envelope because coleman and uh laurie strode give them their money to go to the stock exchange right which is a question i will ask in a minute and so dan akron hands coleman his thing and he's like i'm gonna kiss you laurie strode and she pulls her gum out of her mouth and hands it to <laughs> coleman too
0: yes and it's coleman just so beautiful more okay holding her gum than his briefcase yes
1: they kiss so they go to the stock exchange um And this trading
0: seems impossible to track or control. Agreed. Agreed. But it's still how they do it a lot. Like, there's still live human traders happening. I don't... It's crazy. So, here's my
1: question. Coleman and Lori gave them like $100,000 or whatever. Yes.
0: To do the thing. So, did they just buy all the orange juice first? No. So, they're doing what's called short selling, which is basically you saying that you are going to offer some goods for sale at a price lower than the market thinking a short sale is a short sale is you betting that the price currently on the market is artificially high so you are betting that you are going to say if the price is currently I'm just going to use 100 because it's easiest to explain this just use the numbers please okay so the the price is currently 100 and you're saying i think the real price is actually 80 so you're going to say I'm going to offer this for sale at 90 on a short sell meaning you think the price is actually going to drop significantly below 90 so that when you purchase it you're going to sell it at 90 and still make a profit. I think I'm explaining that correctly. I think I'm understanding. I don't know. It's hard. See, so so they, so what they're trying to do is say we think that the price of this is artificially high and the Duke brothers are trying to say we think this price is artificially low. And so the Duke brothers start first buying it at low prices, which causes other people to go, "Oh my God, there's they know something we don't. We got to get on in, in on this while it's cheap." And so they take the price from 100 to 125. And Dan Akroyd and Eddie Murphy are like, "Well, we'll sell it to you for 100, but just not right this second. And so they make a bunch of deals to sell it at the low price, while the brothers are just raising the price through the roof. So Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd know that that price that they're raising it is not going to be sustainable and the it's going to just crash because they know that the once the report comes out, the price of orange juice should be relatively where it was at to begin with. But we made them think it was going to go through the roof. So they bought all the oranges up at whatever price they could, and now they're stuck with a huge glut of product that's worthless or worth far less than they paid for it. I think I get it okay that's the best i'm gonna do i know i know so, it is I would, so if, it, if it doesn't click for you you're gonna have to get I it i feel elsewhere like we should have called
1: we should have phoned dad on this it.
0: is this is i should have just gotten a clip of that npr podcast this is the like the the best way that i can do to explain it i highly recommend you taking a second but i, I did do a good job i think it's just i think if, you did i yes. just i it's whether or not you brain, get the concept is not yeah
1: my brain doesn't
0: process Well, this
1: movie also inspired
0: real law. Isn't there the Eddie Murphy Act or something like that? um, I don't know if it's called the Eddie Murphy Act, but I do believe that there have been laws put in place to prevent this sort of thing. And also the electronic transfer information has made it such that, like, you really couldn't get this report ahead of time because there would just be a small number of people who would know the information and then they would just release it.
1: Well, the Eddie Murphy rule, as it came to be known, later came into effect as something about the Transparency Act.
0: I also love uh, it's. It's not really important to anything, but there's a really wonderful shot where Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy are in the bathroom, like getting ready for battle, and the bell rings and all of the stall doors open simultaneously as these guys rush out. Oh, of it's it. great! And it's just a very John Landisy thing that I thought was great. So anyway, the Duke brothers lose hard, and the older brother starts having a heart attack. And what I was gonna say earlier, and I just stopped myself, was. In a just world, this movie ends with that dude dying. Like, he yep. should be dead. They should be wheeling his corpse out while his brother is, like, screaming about losing all his money. I agree. But it shouldn't have been that. Uh, I don't think that's the one that should have died. No, but, the, like, he's the the less sociopathic of the two. But I just, yeah, every time I watch this, I'm like, he should be dead under there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we the movie ends. We cut to a tropical island where Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee are on a boat. Eddie Murphy has a lady by his side on the on the sand, and Coleman also has a woman much, much, much younger than him by his side. I mean, uh, hey. Yeah, and they're eating cracked claw or cracked crab and lobster, and uh, it ends with the very silly line with Dan Aykroyd and uh, Eddie Murphy yelling to each other from a quarter mile away, like, looking good, Billy Ray. <laughs> Feeling good, Lewis. It's just so <laughs> stupid, but I love the line reading. Uh, but yeah, that is that is trading places. Uh, our our end of the holiday season and our New Year's episode. Happy New Year to all of you out there. We didn't say that at the top.
1: Happy twenty nineteen.
0: Uh, what what are your final thoughts? It's
1: a good movie. It's yeah. really enjoyable. It's yeah. nice. It's a nice change of pace.
0: Yeah, it's a comedy that's an hour and fifty minutes or so, and I, doesn't. Drag I feel it's a much. little long. Okay, because I a I little. didn't think it dragged too much. Yeah, um, yeah, I really love this movie as well. I it, obviously I don't love the f word. I don't love the blackface parts, but they are fortunately fairly inconsequential to the movie uh, and not like a central character part. So it's yeah. easy enough to to get over. Um, yeah, it's it's really a hoot. Uh, a lot of the jokes still hold up. This is I think you're right. This is like peak Eddie Murphy. He's really hitting on all strides here. There's a lot of just like, hey, we'll just wind him up and let him go and see what happens, uh, yeah. which is good. Uh, he's just he's really spectacular. Yeah. Uh, great performances all around. Really, really hateable villains. Uh, it, 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 The villains are the same evil money people as we have in the era that we live in now. I mean, we've always had them, but they ring true and feel real to what is the real state of the world world right now. So that part was a little like, oh, man. But it's really yeah. good. I highly recommend it's well worth your time. If you haven't seen it, jump on it and uh, well worth a revisit. If you've, if you've seen it before. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to the show uh, all throughout 2018. It's uh, the end of the year. Obviously we're not taking a break or anything, but uh, nice to, to look back. A lot of really fun episodes this year launched the Patreon. It's been really awesome to get so much support from all you folks out there in listener land. So thank you to every one of you who've done that. If you haven't, If you sign up right now for Patreon at the $5 level, you get two bonus episodes. We have our Top Gun live episode, which is our bonus in December. That was from the Philly Podcast Festival. I know a lot of people don't care for live podcast recordings, but the sound quality on it is excellent. We wouldn't put out something we thought stunk. So uh wanted to tell you about that. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you get it. That's always really helpful. And if you want to get in touch, we're on Facebook and Twitter. It's at Dissect the 80s on Twitter. And uh, dissectingthe80s at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. I wanted to give a particular shout-out to uh, pro wrestler Austin Lane, who we uh, mentioned briefly on the show before and uh, had said we'd love to hear you cut a promo for us. Uh, If you want to hear his uh, Dissecting the 80s-themed wrestling promo, you can find it on our Twitter and Facebook pages where we shared it. But thank you, Austin, uh, for doing that. Good luck with the uh, upcoming surgery. Hope everything goes well. Uh, Yeah. uh, You're back on your feet in no time so uh thank you for doing that that was really super cool we will be back in uh two weeks to start 2019 we are currently working on what our episode is going to be on so uh stay tuned to social media channels this will be probably posted in the show notes for this one and also uh on our social media channels but we will be back on january 14th with our all new episodes for 2019 Woo-hoo. i've been Triple
1: I will always be Andrew Leno
0: Until January 14th.
1: Don't you forget about me.
0: Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.